Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I am joined today by David Peppos. You may know him from his upcoming series, The Devil Wears My Face, and also Savage Avengers, uh, and so much more uh, mm-hmm. upcoming Moon Knight stuff, which we're going to get into. It's a lot. There's a lot. There's that Hulk annual that was really dope that, ever, that like really caught fire on Twitter, I saw, uh, and, uh, and, and so much more. Spencer Locke, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, welcome to the show. Thanks for being oh. here. Thanks so much for having me, buddy. It's uh, it's I'm excited to catch up. Same. same. Yeah, that's right. The last time I saw you, I think, was uh, New York Comic Con. Yeah, yeah. And uh, boy, it's been a, a busy six months uh, <laughs> uh, and, and only getting busier. So uh, good. Uh, busy is good. Uh, nothing, nothing to complain about. Uh, yep. Busy is the uh, perfect state of being uh, for, for a comics freelancer. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, before we jump into... Um, the Savage Avenger stuff that I'm like, yeah. we, we, we need to hash out because there's a lot to, to unpack. Sure. Um, let's chat about uh, the devil that wears my face, because I want to yeah. know, like, where it came from, what made you uh, join up with Mad Cave uh, for this yeah. project? And, uh, you know, what, 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 where you see this project going? Thing, yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, I'm so excited to be uh, uh, finally being able to talk about the devil that wears my face. Um, that's a project that I've been working on in some form or fashion. Uh, almost as long as I have for Savage Avengers. Um, I, I had been uh, talking with uh, Mark London and Chris Fernandez over at Mad Cave for, for quite some time. Um, they've been amazing supporters of my work, uh, really dating back to my earliest books. And so we've been talking about for a long time about finding the right project to work on together. And as we kept running into each other at different shows, we would kind of start batting ideas around. Um, and the, the idea behind the devil that wears my face, that was the thing that really kind of caught fire uh, between all, all of us, uh, we were all like, oh yeah, that feels like a cool, uh, a cool kind of self-contained story. Um, for me, you know, I, I always approach every time I finish a project, I, I, I go in with a to-do list and I cross off as many items as I can for each particular project if it fits. Um, but I always find myself when I finish with the project, my to-do list is actually longer than when I started. Uh-huh. I just think of, of, I think of new kind of storytelling challenges and angles that, uh, that kind of I, I see elsewhere. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's what I want to do next after this project. And yeah. so um, for Devil, I had been saying for a long time, I really wanted to do something horror related. Um, I'd done a couple of, uh, uh, of anthology shorts that were horror related, but I'd never done like a full length horror story. And that felt like kind of the, the missing food group for me in terms of uh, uh, my, my comics output. And um, I've also, I love the idea of doing kind of body swap undercover intrigue um you know some of my favorite movies are are face off and, and the departed um nice. you know kind, kind of the, the the sort of cat and mouse uh yeah. you know, people kind of infiltrating their respective camps and so the idea of being able to kind of mesh that together to do kind of a supernatural twist on face off um that was really just a, an exciting uh kind of concept to run with and um yeah, I, I, I've had so much fun working on it. Um, uh, you know, especially working with uh, art, artist Alex Cormick. Who yeah, what, just... uh, what teamed you up with uh, Alex Cormick? Yeah, um, you know, it was one of those things we were talking about um, artists uh, who, who would be a good fit for the book. And I've been a huge fan of Alex's for, for some time, um, ever since his work on Sync. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm buddies with Rich Duick. And so seeing more of Alex's work on, on Road of Bones and Sea of Sorrows and Breath, uh, uh, and Breath of Shadows. Yeah. Um, and uh, also The Crimson Cage over at AWA, which I think is just a, a stellar book. Mm. Um, so I was kind of like, I would love to, 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 to get somebody like Alex Cormick. 
And uh, Chris was like, we love Alex. Uh, you want to reach out? <laughs> I, 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 uh, I, I pinged Alex over DM and I was like, hey man, um, I have an idea for this book and I've already written uh, a couple scripts for it. Would you have any interest? And uh, Alex was game for it. Um, he's He really is a Renaissance man um, of, of many talents and interests. Uh, you know, the thing that I love about The Devil That Wears My Face is it is a horror book, but we also have some really cool swashbuckling action elements to it as oh, well. Oh, cool. And that's something that Alex, uh, he really handles uh, with, with with equal ease. Um, you know, he, he is a horror artist through and through, Bram Stoker Award nominee um, for good reason. You know, he's got mm-hmm. this really gritty, textured horror style. But um, I, I just remember uh, uh, for, for an upcoming issue, he goes, Oh, sword fight. I'm going to put on some Errol Flynn. And I was like, that, that is the kind of guy that I love working with. Um, I yeah. can't say the good things about working with Alex Cormick and uh, getting to team up again with um, my scouts honor editor, Mike Martz. Um, you know, it's been like a really fun and heartening experience um, uh, uh, with this creative team and with this book. And I, it's one of the projects I'm most proud of. And so I'm very excited for readers to get to check this one out. Nice. Uh, this is this is full color, right? Because yes. I, I know that uh, you have had a ton of experience. Uh, I think there's at least three different black, white, and blood books that you've done yeah. or stories within that anthology. Yeah. And uh, I, I know that, you know, it's... I assume it's a challenge to, uh, in you know, to start working in that field where you're like, you know that it's going to be only three colors, most of which are black and white. And so you kind of yeah. like have to play to the artist's strengths and also like think about it in those terms. And then you do a whole original series and you're like, and this is going to be something else. Like <laughs> I'm going to have to switch gears a little bit. You know, I, it's funny because I think for the black, white and, and, and blood slash red stuff that I've done at Marvel, for me, what's I've always tried to lean towards um, where can I fit black, white, and red into the concept itself? Yeah. So, for example, um, you know, my Moon Knight story, uh, you can see on that very first page that the uh, Moon Knight standing order at Ruby's Diner has elements of black, white, and red. Uh, right. In it. I love and, that. You know, and um, for my Electra story, I was kind of like, okay, let's have Electra in the red room versus the Black Widow. Um, right. So that black, black and red. And um, for Vader, you know, it was, it was kind of, it's Darth Vader. And with that lightsaber, you, you, he's, he's inherently, he fits into the, into the black and red scheme. Um, but, uh, you know, it really, I, I, I believe for, uh, what, Alessandro Vitti did his own colors. And then I believe um, it was Chris Sotomayor who did my, my Moon Knight colors for, with, uh, with Leo Romero. And it was, um, why am I blanking on his name? Um, uh, um, for my for my Electra story. Oh yeah. Um, hold on, let me just find that. <laughs> uh, it's it's gonna make me feel bad if I don't remember this. Um, totally. But uh, oh, Andres Mosa. Um, yeah, ah. uh, you know who who worked with Danilo uh, Beirut. Um, so yeah, it it you know it. Thankfully, that part was less of my problem. Um, uh, that was that was definitely something for for the art teams to kind of navigate. But for me, it was always just figuring out like how can we conceptually kind of like tee up the artists a little bit. Um, yeah. For games. But yeah, for for Devil, um, you know, uh, Alex uh, Alex works with I believe works with his wife um, on the colors. And oh, that's so cool. They're really like 
they they kind of know their best angles um and, and as far as that goes and it's really it's really spectacular i feel like there's a really fun collaborative spirit and alex is just he's game for anything and i i just working with a guy who he's not only incredibly talented but he's inhumanly fast and um and so just gregarious and like warm and funny that he really is like he 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 he's a rare unicorn in this business yeah. and um, i i've told him already i said you know you give me a wish list you tell me what you like and i i will make it my business to write another book for you because he's yeah. just such a, a tremendously talented artist that i i already am looking forward to working with him again love it uh with moon knight city of the dead yeah that's uh coming yes yeah and uh, where I assume Moon Knight is it, although I don't think he plays a, a role during the Savage Avengers. I assume he is a like fan favorite of yours. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. Um, you, it's funny you mentioned Savage Avengers because I think the reason I am, I got this Moon Knight miniseries was there were there were several near misses as far as mm. Moon Knight was concerned with the Savage Avengers. Right. Um, he was certainly on my short list for uh, for a character wish list for that team. Um, I kind of had to narrowly cut him um in favor of black knight and it was a very painful cut uh, <laughs> and, and, to, and i told tom bravort as such uh and then there was a, a there was a preliminary plan for our second arc um the original plan was to have like a, a post-apocalyptic team of avengers which we wound up sort of teasing at the very last issue yeah. of the savage avengers of 2099 but originally um the 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 original plan was to kind of do like a full team up arc with two different teams until I realized that I can't juggle sixteen people in a twenty page uh, <laughs> monthly comic right. uh, do any of them justice. But Moon Knight was going to be the the leader of that post apocalyptic resistance. Oh. Um, and so I said, okay, like it breaks my heart that I I I can't fit in Moon Knight. But you know, Tom, if there's ever an opportunity to do something Moon Knight related, I hope you'll let me know because I love the character. And uh, that kind of led to that Black, Wet, and, and Blood story uh, that I did with Leonardo Romero, uh, mm -hmm. A Hard Day's Night. And uh, people seemed to really respond positively to that story. I pitched it as sort of, um, it's the hangover, but with Moon Knight, you know, mm -hmm. kind of figuring out, like, I have, like, a tooth sticking out of my arm. What happened? And reality <laughs> explaining, uh, you know, oh, Jake Lockley, that was me. Yeah, I was fighting vermin in the sewers, and he kind of got a claw into me. Nah. Um, you know, and and people really responded to that, and I think that's what kind of got me teed up for for doing a mini series. And the way that City of the Dead came together was um, Tom. It, it's it's it was around this time last year that they that they uh, they hit me up about this, and Tom was saying, you know, uh, Moon Knight is 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 in right now. You know, he's having a, a moment. You know, with the Disney Plus show and with uh, uh, Jed McKay's superlative series. Yeah. Um, you know, do you, do you have any ideas for, for a series? And so for me, it was really kind of thinking about, you know, how do we kind of dance between the raindrops continuity wise? So we're not stepping on anything that Jed's doing, but also like, how can we have like a really fun self-contained story that like feels something similar to what's going on in the main Moon Knight book, but is still very different. And right. So City of the Dead came about, um, I'm a huge fan of the the movie Inception. Um, I love Inception. I love The Matrix. And I, I've always wanted to do something kind of in that vein. And so City of the Dead, the way that I've kind of built it is it's Inception meets Taken. Okay. It's it's about a, a young runaway has been left for dead uh, outside the Moon Knight, or outside the Midnight Mission. 
And, yeah. uh, but Mark Spector, you know, he's sworn to defend the travelers of the night. Mm-hmm. And he says, as long as there's still a spark of life left in this kid, he's still under my protection. Mm-hmm. So he, uh, he detaches his soul and journeys to the city of the dead to try to rescue this kid's soul. Ooh, I kind of dig that a lot. Uh, so- the, this also is uh, doing double duty because not only is it your kind of like realization of, uh, of of your love of the character, but also we're seeing the debut of the Scarlet Scarab. Yeah. And uh, I don't remember who coins that name. Is that being debuted in this book specifically or did anyone say it at any point between the show and, and now? Boy, you know, I'd have to rewatch it. You know, I, 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 don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think anyone names her I in the show. I don't think anyone so. actually use the name Scarlet Scarab in the show. Uh, I think it would, but I think that's sort of what the promotional materials called her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm so excited to get to, to, to write Layla. She's such a fun character. I think she was really a highlight of the Disney Plus series. And um, that was sort of the, the, the initial hook that when I first pitched to Tom, I said, you know, it'd be really cool to kind of have also Moon Knight team up with another avatar. And mm-hmm. what if we brought in Scarlet Scarab from the Disney Plus show? And it was a cool little bit of serendipity. I don't think I'm spoiling too much because it was, it was mentioned in the solicits. Um, but, um, you know, it's funny that Jed McKay then a, a little while later independently came to the same idea saying, you know, hey, we're doing kind of this extra sized um, Moon Knight 25th anniversary issue. Uh, maybe what if we introduce Layla somewhere? And, you know, it was Tom Brevoort who, you know, just the he he's, he's so good at kind of connecting these kinds of dots. He brought me and Jed together and he said, okay, listen, like David's got this miniseries going with, with Scarlet Scarab. Maybe there's a way that you two can dovetail your stories together because these series are coming out in the same month. Mm. And so um, it was really cool. We were able to kind of like put our heads together and dovetail the stories together in a really fun way. So uh, Moon Knight 25, it really does tee up uh, City of the Dead number one. They come out back to back weeks. Um, So it's one of those things that you'll read 25 and then you'll be like, well, what's going to happen next? And you will see exactly how how, how uh, Layla, uh, you know, uh, will see her debut as the Scarlet Scarab in the first issue of City of the Dead. That's awesome. Uh, so, yeah, they're, she's a fun character. And seeing their dynamic, um, you know, without spoiling too much, um, you know, they share a past as uh, members of the Karnak Cowboys, uh-huh. um, which was sort of Mark Spector's... Um, a military group from Mark Spector's past that we have not really seen a ton of. Um, And so uh, they have a little bit of a shared language, a little bit of a shared history, um, maybe some shared interests. And, um, but just kind of seeing them team up, there's like a little bit of um, like a Mr. And Mrs. Smith, a little bit of the mummy. um, Okay. That, that, that cool dynamic um, between the two of them that I think is, uh, it's very exciting. That's awesome. I love that. That's um, I I'm very excited about the idea that it is cemented in the continuity that's already been established, like that we've got Moon Knight. We're you know, we're pe- it's working right. People are on board. People are enjoying the series, um, adding another mini series and having it be intrinsically connected to what the you know, it's its own story, but it's intrinsically connected to the ongoing continuity. So it, it yeah. feels essential and it's just it's just more good Moon Knight, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's been like a fun balancing act to kind of figure out, like, you know, you you want to preserve the tone of what's right. going on in the main series. You want to keep what works, but also you're trying to find out like, well, OK, what kind of unique spin can I put on, 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 of course. on one story? 
And so, you know, I've always kind of, I, I, I like to think of this story as sort of like a street level, like neo-noir kind of story, but it's set in a supernatural realm that can be kind of, can be manipulated and shaped based on the contents of one's heart. Right. And so that's where we sort of get like our inception and matrix kind of vibes um, in that, you know, a character who is known for his, his struggles with mental health, like Moon Knight, this is sort of like either the best or the worst environment for him to be <laughs> tracking down a missing child. Oh, sure. Yeah. And that's that really kind of the, the way that Mark is going to have to adjust to this new playing field is, is a, it really fits in nicely with sort of his own personal arc in this storyline. Cool. The um, it's funny. There's like these, these brilliant moments of, uh, of your influence on the Marvel universe as a whole, uh, where we'll bomb it, you know, we bomb it on City of the Dead. We're going to bomb it on them with the the Hulk annual that you wrote uh, very recently, uh, which, again, people were really digging on. I myself was like, this is really cool. Way to go. Nice. And I thought it I had, I, I guess I got my wires crossed, but I was like, is this the beginning of something? But no, it's just it was just a one off. But uh, mm -hmm. but you want to do more Hulk in the future? Is that something that you're uh, you're attracted to? I mean, you know, I would never say no, um, <laughs> but I, I can tell you, um, you know, seeing what Philip Kennedy Johnson and Nick Klein are doing, it's really some next level material. Um, you know, I'm, I'm buddies with Philip and I was very lucky to, um, to, to get a chance to read over his, his pitch for all of this, what he was, when he was working on it. Um, you know, he and I were both working on respective pitches on, on, on respective books around the same time. And so we were kind of sharing uh, uh, notes together. And Philip, he's such a thoughtful and talented writer. And to pair him up with somebody just as like artistically stacked as Nick Klein, um, yeah. it really is stellar stuff. Um, you know, I would call this, uh, you know, Marvel's Hellboy um, is, is kind of the way that I, I see uh, uh, Philip's run. And it's just, um, it's beautiful stuff. So I, you know, I, 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 I historically have found myself in the, in the position of like having to try to fill some pretty big shoes from whatever predecessor has, uh, been on the book before me. And, uh, uh, I, I, I would be very happy to let Philip just keep doing his thing. And, uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't even dream. I wouldn't even know where to start. Um, you know, I, I think the thing about that Hulk annual that I wrote, uh, it really did kind of stem from my natural, intimidation uh, and fear of the character. Ah. You know, I, when I was a kid, uh, my parents got me four Marvel books. They got me an issue of uh, Amazing Spider-Man, uh, Captain America, an issue of Silver Surfer that Silver Surfer was not in. It was Adam Warlock fighting uh, Drax the Destroyer. Oh, and sure, so, yeah. I know those It ruled. Issues. I didn't really understand it, but it ruled. Yep. And then an issue of, of Hulk, where Hulk is uh, poisoned. He's, give, he's, he's, he's having, like, heart attacks. And he uh, fights the abomination and pours toxic waste on the abomination's face. <laughs> and, you know, I was like six. Um, sure. So like I that was like the scary comic, the one that I, I kind of stayed away from more than the others. Yeah. And I think the, the thing about the Hulk as a character is he's so and I don't say this pejoratively, but he's you know, he's a big, broad character. Um, you know, he, he represents uh, an emotion that really is kind of a force of nature. You know, mm -hmm. anger and rage are. are they blind you. It's like trying to look into the sun. It's hard to examine that because it's very much, it's a werewolf blackout, you know, uh, Bruce Banner gets mad and then suddenly he wakes up in a ditch and there's a bunch of destruction all around him. Yeah. And that was something that I kind of tried to interrogate with, um, with that annual where we did a found footage approach. Um, you know, I, I, uh, Will Moss and I had been talking about possible projects and, 
he had said, you know, we need somebody to do a Hulk annual. Would you would you be available? And I said, well, what if, the, you know, there are people out there that are like storm chasers. What if we had a group of like Hulk chasers? Um, <laughs> they're trying to do the Blair Witch Project, but for the Hulk, or they're trying to do like um, like Cloverfield. Yeah. Um, I was I, I was really proud of how that book came together. Um, I feel like uh, Kyle Mahato, the artist in the book, um, you know, we gave him a really technically challenging assignment. Uh, with that book. And I think he really acquitted himself well. Um, Cause we were trying all sorts of crazy technical things because every single panel was shot from the viewpoint of the camera. Exactly. And it was, how do we balance that sort of first person perspective for the whole thing, but still kind of uh, pace everything out like a comics page. And yeah. um, I think we were able to kind of straddle that line in a really interesting way. Um, and as somebody who I've, I've wanted to do a found footage comic for ages and just couldn't really find the right angle for it. Yeah. Having like a slightly expanded um, uh, runway for, for an, a single issue, it felt like the perfect time to try it. Yeah. And I, I, I give Will Moss a lot of credit for uh, letting me try that out. And uh, a, a lot of thanks to, to Kayo uh, for, uh, for, for executing that. It's a, it's a really great time, I think, for experimentation in comics, uh, yeah. in particular for like seeing vantage points and POVs that we haven't yet or that we're accustomed to seeing in other media, but haven't yeah. yet. You know, like uh, what was that, that incredible recent uh, Nightwing issue? Yeah. All, all first person. Um, I thought that was and- so cool. Yeah. And it's like a similar, similar vein, but in a totally different way, a way that like sells it. I'm like, Oh, found footage. I get it. I get the idea. I love the concept and, uh, and doesn't get tripped up. Like I can imagine, you know, uh, pitching this idea 20 years ago and being like, getting it kind of like tripped up in editorial and like, are we going, will, will the audience understand what we're trying to do? You know, and nowadays I think people uh, from both the editorial side and from the readership side are all just like embracing kind of like, yeah, turn the comic sideways, make it like this, that, and the other thing, like, you know, break panel layout, like try, try stuff. And it's, uh, and it's working. I I can say, you know, I, I, I just marked my two year Marvel anniversary um, uh, a, a week or so back and, um, I have to say that I, I've really enjoyed working over there because they've really, they've given me a lot of freedom um, to try a lot of different stuff with a lot of different characters. Um, I've been really fortunate in that in two years, I've been able to play with almost all of the big toys in some form or fashion, um, yeah. you know, from from two different, well, really three different Avengers rosters, uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, you know, Spider-Man, um, the Hulk, the Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. Moon Knight. I mean, it's they've been really generous, and um, and it's just been a really heartening experience. And so, being able to kind of do these crazy one-offs like this Hulk annual, um, it it certainly keeps me from feeling bored or restless. Uh, sure. You know, and I think that's the reason I'm a writer in the first place. Is I don't I don't love doing the same thing over and over and over for a super long term. Um, I am sort of in the Baskin Robbins stage of my career. I, I think that I want to get my 31 flavors. I want to have something on my table for everybody. Uh-huh. And I think having something like a found footage Hulk story versus sort of a diehard cosmic romance story in Fantastic Four versus Sword and Sorcery Terminator with Savage Avengers mm-hmm. um, to, you know, Inception meets Taken in Moon Knight City of the Dead. Um, no two projects feel particularly similar in terms of concept yeah. but i do think that the voice and and hopefully the heart uh remains consistent 
across all these different genres and and and, and structures. So um, yeah, I, you know, I, I this is my dream job. Um, I, I've wanted to uh, write comics, you know, ever ever since I was a kid. The if I could go back in time and tell you know six year old me, you know, holding all those those four Marvel books, uh, yeah. where where I'd wind up, um, he'd probably have a little six year old heart attack. <laughs> What uh, you could tell obviously you have a love of cinema, you have a love of comics, and you're marrying those two together. Uh, by the way, uh, apropos of that, congratulations, your own self, thank uh, you on your recent uh, uh you know, uh, thank you. I, I I proposed to my 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 partner um over the July Fourth holidays, and um it's been a long time coming. Um, but you know anybody who's read any of my 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 books and enjoys them, um, you can you can thank Claire, my my fiance, for that. Um, I, I think that's why uh, my Fantastic Four two-parter, it really is, I think, my favorite thing I've done at Marvel today, yeah. and I think it's because so much of it is autobiographical, um, that really kind of the dynamic between Reed and Sue is so informed by, by my dynamic with Claire. Um, you know, I wouldn't have a writing career if I hadn't met her, and she hadn't been so excited with, uh, you know, the concept of my very first screenplay idea. Mm. Uh, you know, she reads all of my scripts before I send them to editorial. If uh, she doesn't get it, if she doesn't like it, it's not good enough. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I, 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 I'm very lucky. Uh, I'm, I'm very lucky in all the elements of my life. And, and knock on wood, that'll, that'll continue. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm certain I'm living the dream. Uh, yeah. I, I feel uh, very fortunate. That Fantastic Four uh, two-parter was another really fun and out of left field surprise for uh, for yeah. those of us who uh, saw it coming. Although uh, because you know social media, I knew about that series or that 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 duo coming out because you've been teasing it for so long. I remember you talking about like wanting yeah. to do like I got this great idea. It's Die Hard in the Baxter Building, and it's like, yep, that's a yep, that's <laughs> that is a green light regardless. You know, sight unseen. And then yep. uh, to finally see it on the stands, I'm like, hey, finally he's here. And then reading it and being like, this is really cool. Like, and- you, you know, that, that, and I know there was a, sort of an extended runway behind that. Um, I believe it was like supply chain issues. So the, so the issue yeah. got pushed a little bit further. But um, yeah, you know, the way that Fantastic Four two-parter came into being, um, you know, I have to thank Tom Brevoort, who Tom has edited probably 85, 90% of my work at Marvel oh, nice. at, at this point. Um, you know, he's my editor on Savage Avengers. He is my editor on uh, Moon Knight, uh, Black, White, and Blood, and City of the Dead. He was my editor on um, both of my Avengers Unlimited arcs. So I've worked with him. He's, he's sort of been my main point of contact in Marvel, and I love working with him. Um, you know, he really, uh, he's like a heat-seeking missile when it comes to, like, finding um, weak spots in the story. Mm-hmm. And his notes are always, like, dead on um i'm i've always like oh yeah that makes perfect sense and it gives me a great springboard to kind of fine-tune tune my work um so i had been i'd been working with tom for i think the better part of a year at that point and um i'd worked with him on on savage avengers and uh moon knight black white and blood and i think i had already done that first arc of, of avengers unlimited but um yeah he, he said you know we're uh, we're doing this uh axe two-parter for Fantastic Four, and um, uh, do you have any ideas? And the thing that kind of came to mind was, you know, uh, for those who don't remember Axe Judgment Day, you know, it was the Avengers, the X-Men, and the Eternals uh, dealing with uh, a rogue celestial who had basically decided that it was going to judge humanity, um, and it was going to judge everybody individually based on uh, on sort of any sort of, 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 um, of trial that the celestial could come up with, some yeah. big, some small. 
and um, sort of it, based on sort of the global aggregate, it would decide if humanity was going to survive or not. And I don't know about you, but when I heard this, when I read the the, the one sheet about the the, the arc, I my first thought was, boy, a giant alien-like creature that's like threatening to destroy the planet. That feels like Reed Richards' territory, doesn't it? Totally. Um, but this, yeah. this arc, this this series is not called Facts. Um, you know, it's just Acts. Uh, <laughs> so I, for me, it was kind of figuring out where's the Fantastic Four in all of this, and right. why aren't they taking point on all of this? And so I thought, well, the answer for that is they're clearly indisposed elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And so um, the idea of, of a, a literal bottle episode, in this case, um, bottling up the Baxter building and yep. uh, everybody except for the, the human torch is trapped inside. And um, it was a really fun story to, to, to put together. Um, you know, it was one of those things that I feel like Tom and I were really in sync that both he and I independently were like, we should really do something focusing on Sue Storm. Right. Um, you know, and for me, I felt like for a, an arc like Judgment Day, uh, Sue Storm is the perfect character for that. I mean, what is faith if something that is invisible that cannot be seen, but <laughs> can deeply be felt? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and like I said, sort of the autobiographical elements of, of, of her relationship with Reed. Um, I think the way that that story really kind of came together, um, it took us a while to lock in on a villain. You know, uh, I, I kept... Uh, pitching all these villains that either were in use elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, like I pitched Modoc, and Modoc was being used over next. He's he's gotten a lot of play lately, and I think I uh, we have to we have to blame uh, some of it on the uh, the Hulu series, but also I think just people's utter uh, adoration. Oh, and uh, Ant Man three, but also yeah. I think just people's people's fascination with that character. People he's a weird like, character, but he's he, you know it's it's just one of those brilliant designs, and 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 you really he does kind of fit everywhere. Um, he right? feels like a quintessential Marvel villain. Yeah, um, I pitched like the intelligentsia, but you know, I realized like, oh, like leader is not like on the board anymore, and also mm. that's too many villains for a, for a two-parter. Yeah, and it was Tom who said, "What about Weebly at Midas?" And as soon as he said the name, the whole story clicked for me. I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh, they are opposite sides of the same coin." Um, right. That, that Sue is somebody who is empowered and raised up by her family, um, whereas. Weebliette is somebody who's been really, she's been scarred and brought down and tarnished because of her father's legacy. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the, 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 the whole arc behind that is, is kind of, uh, another, uh, slightly autobiographical, um, element in, in, in my life. Um, you know, we, we found out all kind of, my, my family found out late in life that, um, my, my biological grandfather was not in fact my biological grandfather. Oh, shit. Um, and, uh, that was something that like my father found out very late in life. Um, yeah. And uh, thankfully, you know, he, he's a scientist. So he was just very, you know, intrigued by the whole thing. But, um, you know, I, I, I know that's something that could have really rocked my, my family to the core. Absolutely. And so being able to kind of explore that through the character of Weebliette and this, this study of generational trauma and, her kind of trying to 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 live up to her father's name, and then realizing that like she, she that that her upbringing was kind of built in a lie. Exactly. And and so I think there there was there was a lot to that story that um, really spoke to my life, and I I, I think a lot of it's also uh, Juan Cabal on the art on that book. Mm. Um, he is, I've worked with so many incredible talents at Marvel. Um, 
you know, I think Juan might take the cake. Um, you know, he just, he really is a storyteller through and through. He adds so much uh, to, 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 to the, to the work. Um, you know, there was a, there was a beat, for example, um, where Sue, she jumps on a bunch of invisible platforms to jump on a Herbie's back. Yes. And I had written in the script, just like she leaps off the elevator and turns invisible. Mm. And it was Juan that added that, that bit with um, her bouncing around the, um, the, uh, the, the platforms. And not only that, but even just like the subtle details, like Sue doesn't have her shoes on anymore because it was sort of a, a, like a nod to John McClane. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was so clever and so smart. And he, he really elevated that, that, that two-parter in so many ways. Um, I, I told CB Sabolsky this uh, when I saw him last, but I was like, I love working with Juan. You know, if there's ever another opportunity to do it, please let me know. Um, because he really is the real deal. Um, just a, 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 a lovely storyteller. And um, yeah, he just, he made that fantastic four two-parter, just uh, something that I'm very, very proud of. Yeah. How it, has that been collected? And if not, how are they going to collect that? <laughs> yeah, um, that two-parter was collected. It was collected in the Judgment Day Companion. Oh, a Companion, uh, yes. But okay. I believe, unless I've misread the solicits, um, I believe there's going to be a full omnibus, um, like a full hardcover omnibus that has everything Judgment Day related, including that's awesome. Murder. So um, keep your eyes out on that. I think it was, I thought I saw it in the solicits like a month or so back. Um, so uh, uh, stay tuned. Uh, that's going to be a, a a big book that you can use either as a, a reading utensil or as a defensive implement. Absolutely. No, I definitely plan on picking it up because I really uh, that was that was over here at this channel. We loved Axe. It was a really fun event and it had a really great idea and, you know, fantastic creative teams behind it. And, uh, yeah. you know, and, and lately it's funny, like I'm I'm very much a uh, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of the tie ins. But mm-hmm. um, lately uh, people have I, I guess like publishers have been keyed into that. Like not necessarily like they're not responding to me directly, but they are like going, yeah, well, let's do something special with them. Like if we're going to do a tie yeah. in, let's go, let's go someplace with it. Like let's make it essential. Even if it's only essential to itself, it's, 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 it's yeah. saying something. Exactly. I mean, my, my philosophy is always, especially for shorter assignments is just, you know, I mean, it, it, in certain ways it's freeing, you know, when you have something that's only, you know, that's standalone, like the Hulk annual, or, yeah. um, you know, I, I did a, a, a one shot story for uh, Spider-Verse Unlimited. Um, you know, you, you, you realize, OK, it's going to be more of a character piece yeah. um, or things like Fantastic Four, where you get a two parter. So you get a little bit more room to add in some some high concept work. Totally. But it's still it's still rooted in the character. That's really what you have the runway for. Yeah, I, I love those kinds of stories. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love big, bombastic, you know, change the world kind of stories. I mean, Savage Avengers, I, I cut my teeth at Marvel there, and it's still uh, the best first book I could have possibly asked for over there. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, something that I think a lot of people seem to forget, tend to forget, is that, like, you can never be reminded that you love a character enough. Right. Um, and I think that's kind of what I, I look for in, 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 in my characterization is I'm always looking for what's the cathartic moment here that'll make you like love the character um, that will remind you why you love these characters and will make you feel with these characters. That's really the North star of what I try to write towards uh, for everything. And um, I feel like we really hit it with fantastic four. And um, I think we're, we're, we're going to be doing more of the same in city of the dead. Nice. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Savage Avengers because this yeah. series, um, it it 
it didn't go where I expected. Let's put it that <laughs> way. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, from the beginning where uh, we set up who this team is and uh, actually remarkably kind of stick with it in a, in a really uh, unexpected way where it's like, here's this Motley crew. Here's this idea. Here's this premise. And then twist and turns throughout. And, um, you know, a, how much fun did you have with the series and B, um, you know, you, you got a chance to work with, uh, and by I say, I got a chance, you got consistent chances to work with Tom Brevoort, who of course has been there for yeah. so long. No, remembers the, you know, when you're, when you're pitching like Jake Gallows, he's like, Oh boy, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, I remember when he came on the scene and we thought that was going to be a really big deal. Uh, and yet, and heretofore has not been collected anywhere, by the way, no Punisher 2099 trades. Um, I'm not asking you for inside baseball, like is Savage <laughs> Avengers somehow going to make that happen? I know that would make Josh Williams very happy. Uh, he's a big <laughs> fan of uh, Punisher 2099, but um, yeah, but how did that, uh, how, how did that uh, uh, yeah. come about? And, uh, and what was the, you know, take us a little bit through the character selection sure. process a little bit too. Yeah, well, so the the way I got Savage Avengers, um, you know, I'd been in contact with Tom Brevoort for for some time ever since my first book, Spencer and Locke, came out, and um, uh, same with CB Sabolsky, um, and I think it was uh, when Scouts Honor came out. That mm -hmm. was the book that I, I, I've been told was kind of the the, the what got me to hit critical mass. Mm. Uh, both Tom and CB, I think, really liked the book, and they they decided I, I they felt I was ready for prime time. Nice. And um, so I remember it was it was about it was just before July Fourth holidays uh, in twenty twenty one that I get an email from Tom with the subject line uh, possible Marvel project. <laughs> and I swear I felt my soul like leave my body. Uh, yeah. You know, like, I, I and but the thing is, he did not tell me what the project was. I, I had to fill out. Um, Marvel has uh, the, 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 basically a, a, a legal disclaimer that you have to sign um, saying that, like, listen, if you pitch us something that we already have in the works, you know, it's just a coincidence, like, and you cannot sue us over it. Exactly. So I, so I signed it. And uh, and I'm thinking, you know, as I'm signing this, I'm like, oh, I'm so excited, you know, like, I, I, I wonder, you know, if it's going to be like an anthology story or, you know, maybe a one shot or like, oh, can I get my hopes up? Like, you know, could it possibly be a miniseries? Yeah. And then Tom goes, oh, we're looking to relaunch Savage Avengers, and we want to see if you had any ideas. And <laughs> my, my soul leave my body a second time. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, my, my, my initial thought was, why me? Why this book? Right. And then I realized, like, Savage Avengers is the mashup book, and I love doing mashups. That's, that's sort of my bread and butter. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the way, the way that the, the, the team selection kind of went um, – you know, when they offered me this, they they had said, you know, it's up to you if you want to use Conan the Barbarian or not. Mm. And my thought was, well, I don't know what other opportunity I'm going to get to write Conan. Well, like, and as it turns out, <laughs> a very limited one. <laughs> um, so I was like, yeah, I definitely want to run with that. Um, and I also felt, you know, just being able to work both within the Marvel Universe, but also with an outside licensor, I felt like that was going to be good experience um, totally. for me as a creator. Um, but the problem is, you know, I'm very well steeped in Marvel lore, but I didn't like, I mean, I watched the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies of Conan, which I love, Yeah. but like, I, I was not nearly as encyclopedic, uh, with that knowledge. Um, you know, I, I read like Kurt Busiek's, uh, you know, uh, Conan stories. Um, but it wasn't something that I knew like the back of my hand. Yeah. And I thought to myself, you know, I, I, at first thought I don't have any Conan stories. What am I going to do? And then I realized I did have one Conan story in my back pocket. Uh, a few years prior, I was watching Terminator 2, one of my favorite movies. And Easily, I thought to yeah. myself, you know, why did Skynet pick that face for the T-800 
right. why did they pick this face that looks exactly like Conan the Barbarian? <laughs> I thought, what if Skynet used the face of the scariest human it had ever fought? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that kind of sparked an idea that what if Conan the Barbarian was actually like a long lost descendant of John or ancestor of John Connor. Okay. And so a Terminator gets thrown into the distant past and suddenly it's sword and sorcery Terminator. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's Conan versus the Terminator. Right. And so I wrote up this outline and I was so excited and I was gearing up to, to try to hit up some editors at dark horse. And then the next week Marvel announced that they had the rights to Conan. <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, that's a bummer. I guess I'm never going to get to tell that story. So, uh Tom emails me about this and I immediately like, wait a minute, I do have a Conan story in my back pocket. And so I said, what if we did Conan versus the Terminator, but instead of a Terminator, we did a Deathlock. Yeah. Um, I love Deathlock. He's, you know, it, it, it's one of those Marvel concepts that I just adore. Yep. And, um, but I did not realize that Tom was one of the original editors on Deathlock. Mm. Um, so I think he's got a, I think he's got a soft spot for the character. And so um, he, he was like, yeah, let's run with that. And I said, you know, we can have, <laughs> a team of superheroes that are kind of caught in, in, in the crossfire. Um, and so the way that, 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 that team lineup kind of went down was, um, you know, I looked at Jerry Dugan's initial roster for Savage Avengers for, for inspiration. I, I didn't want to repeat exactly what Jerry had done because Jerry had already done it. And he'd done it so well that exactly. like, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to retread what somebody else has done and do it in a worse way. Mm-hmm. So but I thought to myself, like, how can we kind of remix this, you know? And 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 so looking at the uh, Jerry's initial roster, that was a uh, that was uh, Frank Castle, that was Electra, that was Wolverine, Venom, and uh, Doctor Voodoo, right. and um, and Conan. And Conan. Yeah. And so I knew we were going to have Conan, but I said, okay, so that means we need we need a street level person. And uh, I, you know, at that point, Electra had recently become the all new Daredevil, and I just thought it was such a cool promotion for her. Um, the design that Marco Cicchetto came up with was just yeah. pitch perfect. And I loved what Chip was doing. And so that was, she was like the first person I was like, please, like, I don't know how long she's going to be Daredevil, but like, could we use her? Because I, I, I think that would be really cool. Like Daredevil was, was one of the first Marvel characters that like really like, like spoke to me besides like Spider-Man as a kid. Totally. And uh, uh, thankfully, like Devin Lewis and in, in, in the Daredevil office was like, yeah, no, we're running with Electra for, for some time. So that should work. Um, I said, we need somebody with claws. And so we kind of batted some ideas around for a while. Like I had asked for Dakin um, mm-hmm. and, and was told, well, he's going to be in Marauders. And, you know, we can we can only sort of have characters like Dakin kind of appear in so many team books. Right. Um, and Logan was being used in lives and deaths of Wolverine, which had kind of a time travel element. So we didn't want to double up there. Yeah. So we, we talked briefly about Laura Kinney, um, but I was really worried that that was going to be like too much tonal overlap with, uh, yeah. with, with, with Electra. Um, and it was Tom who said, well, what about uh, weapon H? Um, you know, he's kind of raw materials that nobody's really using right now. Yeah, and he's got the claws, and I thought, well, not only does he have the claws, but he's he's a Hulk, and I I thought that's the ultimate savage hero in Marvel, and it, it almost felt like an oversight that he hadn't yeah. shown up in Savage Avengers. So I said to Tom, I said, you know, um, if nobody's doing anything with Weapon H, what if we kind of tweaked his powers a little bit? Um, you know, Immortal Hulk was just wrapping up as 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 I was pitching this, and I said, what if we did Dial H for Hulk, where it's mm. just you know, he can turn into a Red Hulk or he can turn into A-bomb or he can turn into a leader um, yeah. or a harpy, uh, make him more of a utility player. Right. And Tom uh, seemed to really respond to that. 
And then um, I said, we need we need a spider person, uh, preferably a symbiote, but we need a spider person. And boy, I there were so many. We talked about a lot of people. Um, my initial first round pick was Carnage. Oh. Um, Rom V, uh, his Carnage series hadn't been announced yet, so I, I wasn't mm. aware of it. Um, and, and they kind of quickly were like, well, Carnage, Cletus is in play elsewhere, so, so we can't use him. Um, but Flash Thompson was kind of a very close second. Um, I was like, well, if we can't have like the Hannibal Lecter join the <laughs> team, um, you know, Flash strikes me as like this really kind of cocky, um, you know, agile fighter. He's, he's really the best of both worlds because you can make him like Spider-Man when you want to or like Venom when you feel like it. Yeah. And um, that was a real that was a real godsend because Flash. I think was my favorite character out of the whole roster to write. He, he really, he came to me very naturally. Um, yeah. He, you could feel like his, uh, his humanity throughout the, yeah. the story. He was kind of like, well, he's also like one of the few that's not totally nuts. Yeah. You know? <laughs> he's he's, he's kind of, he's a smart ass, but he's also, yeah. you know, he's kind of, he's kind of a dick. Um, you know, yeah. like his first appearance, he was, he was a jock, you know, well, yeah. he was a bully. And so, uh, you know, uh, having him in there, um, he really, he was kind of like the Hawkeye of the team um, yeah you know and so uh you know we had that kind of core trio with conan um and i i had said i really want cloak and dagger um <laughs> i've been a huge fan of cloak and daggers um for a long time you know ever since the days of like maximum carnage um that's like but, i think that's what got i, I think if you didn't yeah. read them when they first debuted yeah then you know about them because you either played or read yeah. maximum carnage like that's yeah, that's how exactly. you introduced them. I was like the perfect age for that, and yeah. um, and seeing uh, seeing them resurface in uh, Matt Fraction's Dark X Men, yeah, that really like put a light bulb uh, over my head. Um, that I was like, oh, these are like really underutilized characters that have such cool powers that nobody else has. Yeah, and you saw little flickers of it in like Civil War, where like Cloak was like a really decisive factor in big the, time existence, but um. It's funny when I was teaching myself how to write, I did it with fan scripts. I wrote like I wrote fan scripts for uh, Shazam, uh, Doctor Strange, Spider Man, and Avengers. And it's funny because my fan scripts for Avengers had Daredevil, Cloak, and Dagger join the team. Mm. Um, and this was like circa uh, Shadowland, so oh, it was cool. kind of it was it was Matt Murdock having like like a, a horde of uh, of hand ninjas just like everywhere at all times. Sure. Um, but yeah, Cloak and Dagger were were on my wish list for a very long time. And I remember begging Tom saying, please, like, I will go like whatever characters I have to compromise on. Please let me have Cloak and Dagger. I promise I'll do something cool with them. And <laughs> Tom was like, it's cool. Nobody's like beating down the door. <laughs> no one's asking for them right now. Um, so you're fine. <laughs> it's fine. They're yours. Like, whatever you want. Yeah. You don't, um, have, to, you don't have to give much. It's fine. Um, and then, yeah, Black Knight. Um, you know, well, that we, was the character we discussed. That was like a compromise, right? That was like you didn't you wanted. Well, um... I I had talked about, I, you know, it was a really it was a tough call because um, at one point we had talked about Moon Knight. Right. Um, and I and I was kind of like, well, I, I, I. Utility wise, Black Knight can do more. Um, right. As like the tech guy and the guy who knows all of the uh, Avengers lore. So, you know, we can kind of get somebody who knows continuity in the book. Right. And, <laughs> And um, Eternals had just come out when I had, when I was pitching this. And so uh, or I was in the process. It was like right about to come out. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it, his Q rating had never been higher. Um, yep. You know, so 
so yeah, we got we got Black Knight. Um, and you know, I was just thinking at the time, I was like, you know, having somebody with a lightsaber next to Conan feels yeah. like a cool, you know, a cool counterpoint. And um, you know, I grew like I said, I've grown up in the '90s, so it's like for me, Black Knight is leather jacket and lightsaber. Yep, and I got one of those. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's one of the, it's one of those things. I mean, this is kind of the the behind the scenes of it all. Is like when you are pitching, you really only kind of you, you only know so much. Um, yeah, I think uh, it 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 makes sense at least at my level that like it's really need to know. Uh, you know, like mm. if you ask, hey, can I do such and such? Your editors are the traffic cops who know where all the bodies are buried. And they can yes. say, oh, well, actually, this character is being used elsewhere. I, I I think it really makes a lot of sense in a counterintuitive way um, because that way you're you're not you're not tempted to step on people's toes. You just exactly. you know, like 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 sometimes the less you know is the better um, because then like you're 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 not bumping up against each other. There's no room for for people doing that either intentionally or not. Totally. It's sort of the editors can kind of handle. The well, and uh, we've 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 talked uh, before on this show at least uh, about how um, you worked directly with uh, with Tom Brevoort as an editor. Yeah. Uh, when I've chatted with other people, uh, particularly, and I can blame it on him, uh, Jim Zub worked with uh, Al Ewing and Mark Wade on um, No Surrender. Yeah. And uh, there's a story which he mentioned on the show, so we're not telling tales out of school here, but they were like, they were talking about all the all, all the villain teams that were going to be in the book. And they were like, you know, we don't really have any room for the Black Order. We can cut them out. Yeah. And and it was right before Infinity War was about to come out. <laughs> and, 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 and Tom went... Um, leave leave the black order in the leave book. the black yeah leave the black order and like yeah, that, that's the kind of like behind you know the kind of like well I don't, i'm not gonna tell you that they're in the movie but i yeah. am gonna tell you that it would be good optics if we left the black order in the book yes exactly <laughs> it's very helpful steering and um so it was one of those things i think when i pitched it was uh Cy spurrier's miniseries with black knight i think it was only like issue two or three had come mm. out um, so I didn't even, I, I knew there was going to be a second Black Knight, um, but I didn't know it was Jax. I didn't know Jax was his daughter. Right. Um, I didn't know there was going to be a redesign <laughs> of the character. Sure. Um, I, I, I give Carlos Magno a lot of credit because like, that's a tricky design and he made it look spectacular. Um, yeah. Just really, really amazing job. Uh, I tried to get those bomber jackets in there. There's a scene in issue seven um where i was like let's put them all in bomber jackets and uh yeah. carlos rightly was like they need to be where they need to have hoods otherwise people are going to see who they are and i was like all right <laughs> tried um uh, but i did get the lightsaber um and honestly um tom was really in the right on that character because dane wound up kind of being like um my self-insert character in a lot of mm -hmm. ways um he's really and and he wound up really being my swiss army knife in a lot oh, of sure. ways that Anytime I ran into a story problem I, that, you know, required somebody to get from point A to point B to point C. Yeah. Usually it was Dane who kind of had had the continuity know-how or had the tech know-how or had the tactical awareness um, that we could kind of get everybody where they needed to be. And I think we kind of, you know, the cherry on top was um, was our death lock. And yeah. Uh, you know, spoilers, but the book's been out for like a year, or so like I think it's okay. But uh, but it is it is a hell of a reveal. Like um, that is a reveal where it's like, oh crap! Like this is it, it went yeah. from being like, oh cool, like you know, it, it, another opportunity to use Conan uh, to set him against these interesting characters, give Weapon H some optics because like honestly, you know, yeah. 
the underutilized character and uh and and the swiss army knife design or plan with him is such yeah. a great execution and i think it i think that actually raised a lot of people's awareness and interest in weapon hf after that they're That's like great. oh he can become other hulks yeah dope like yeah uh but but also what, what you're about it's to into is the deathlock reveal you know i had pitched to tom i'd said um the cool thing about deathlock especially with the deathlock army that um rick remender had introduced and um that jason aaron was 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 going to be working with um yeah was it can be anybody you know they use the corpses of heroes of dead heroes from the future and so um interestingly you know the first person i had pitched was um was james rhodes as mm. one machine. um you know i had been thinking about sort of a, a post-civil war ii timeline where yeah. you know uh, for those who've read brian bendis's run on iron man um tony brings Rhodey back in the last issue and I thought, what about the parts that didn't come back? What if they <laughs> like got kind of spliced in with either, you know, old Stark tech, Extremis tech, or you know, or with Deathlock tech? And so this Deathlock would have some like real identity issues, and it would be kind of like an all new war machine, in a way. Yeah. And Tom said, well, you know, that's not bad, but it's not really additive. Right. Why don't you take another crack and like see if there's anybody with powers? Hmm. that that could be additive and you know for me it was really important to have um a character of color as deathlock um you know i grew up with the the, the Dwayne McDuffie the series. yeah and um and so i i felt like that was that was really like that had to happen um yeah i could not i couldn't i couldn't do like um like you know captain america or something like that like yeah um, steve rogers so i i thought a, a lot about it and then um i had an idea that just it felt so crazy that i immediately emailed tom and i said listen like you can tell me if this is too volatile but like i promise i would treat the character with with love and respect but what about miles morales um you know the ultimate spider-man he has such a cool suite of powers that you could add into all the deathlock tech yeah um you know he's got the spider strength he's got the wall crawling and agility he's got the spider sense he's got uh the venom blasts which are a cool visual signature he's okay. got uh the invisibility so you can kind of go predator mode and even from our very first page of the series yeah we have him uh you know invisible in in that stealth mode and uh you know, I, I have a lot of affection. I ha I've had a lot of affection for Miles. Um, if you look at his Wikipedia page, you actually will see a quote from me uh, from a review I wrote of his very first issue. <laughs> um, and and so, I, it, you know, part of me kind of feels like Miles and I have, have been together in some small way since the beginning. Yeah. And, and seeing Into the Spider-Verse, which I think is just such oh. a, a perfect piece of, of art and a love letter to anyone who's ever loved Spider-Man, uh, myself included. Yeah. Um being able to be a small part of that it, it was really the honor of a lifetime. Um, and Miles, uh, I think, perhaps not surprising in retrospect, but, you know, he really became the heart of the book um, yeah. and, and the soul of that team. Um, I think by issue, I think by issue four, um, which was one of my favorite issues, I, I had pitched it as uh, Barry Allen's death in Crisis on Infinite Earths. What if we did that for Miles? Yeah. Um, and, that really um it's it's one of the it's it's one of the things i'm proudest of writing at marvel um and i think people we could have really screwed that up <laughs> um, uh, you know, we could have screwed that up in a big way but um thankfully i think you know the love shined through and i think carlos magno's art was just so unimpeachably good yeah um that people really seemed to respond to it um and and so yeah having that team together um 
you know, that first arc was really a wonderful experience. And I, I, I can certainly address the, the question that I'm sure you're about to ask, which is, you know, well, you know, you wrote out Conan. I wrote out Conan at the it's end of true, that first yeah. arc. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that it, it, the only thing that I'm bummed out about how that uh, came out was not um, the only way that I was the reason I was bummed was just the way that the news came out. Yeah. None of this was a surprise to me, um, you know, just to kind of peel the curtain back a little sure. bit. Um, you know, like I said, when I pitched the story, um, they told me, you know, if you want to use Conan, you can. You don't have to. It's up to you. And I had said, you know, I, I, what, what other opportunity am I going to get to write Conan? Mm-hmm. But when I pitched the book, I had said, listen, we're going to go to the Hyborian Age for the first arc. And uh, Marvel had told me when I pitched the book, like, let's go for 10 issues and then we can kind of see what, what the market's looking like from there. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I had sort of framed it as we're going to go from the past to the future. And I said, well, you know, depending on how we feel and depending on how much runway we get with this storyline, we can leave Conan in the Hyborian age. Exactly. Um, he does not have to come back for this future arc or we can have him come to the future and have him take the long way, you know, right. like there's, you know, or we can, we can have him rest for a little while and then have him come back later. Yeah. And so the way that it, that it went down, um, I had written my second issue of Savage Avengers and, um, you know, it was the second ever script I'd turned in for Marvel. And, 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 um, and so, uh, you know, I, I, I waited a little while to hear back and, um, I got the word from on high that like, Hey, um, circumstances have changed, um, you know, with, with Conan properties. And so, um, you know, we are going to be sort of doing a final extension of this license. Um, it'll be one more year to kind of wrap everything up, um, you know, between Savage Avengers and King Conan that, that, that Jason Aaron was doing, Aaron book, uh, yeah. I believe, I believe some, uh, some sort of collections that they were doing. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, like this escape hatch that we already had planned, I guess we're going to use it. Mm-hmm. And um, we we made some some slight adjustments to the second arc as a result. Uh, not anything too crazy. I mean, like I said, really the biggest change was that we weren't going to use a second super team um, because I I just could not juggle that many characters in 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 in, in twenty pages a month. Um, but we made some some minor adjustments. Um, you know, rather than using say like the cult of set as like a future villain, uh, we used Ultron and we right. just kind of just, we've, we focused in on the tech side of it, which I think actually wound up working for the best. I think it did because it, it cements it into being like it, it, coming full circle and getting to Ultron. It's like, Oh, this is, it, it goes from being like, so, cause sometimes you see these like alternate Avengers titles, right? Yeah. You got Avengers, you got Savage Avengers, you got like, you know, even so far as like the USA Avengers, you know, it's like right. there's different types of Avengers. And, you know, at some point or other, they come into their own as like, this is why they are called that. And them facing Ultron is kind of like a a, a real Avengers moment where you're like, yeah. oh, yeah. And I think that the, probably the big change was um, originally we we're going to do kind of a nondescript far future. I, I believe the original plan was, that um, the cult of Set found a piece of Deathlock tech that had been discarded during that fight with with Set, and um, and sort of this is what the alternate future looks like when the cult of Set has taken over the world with Deathlock tech. Right. Um, but since we weren't going to use the cult of Set anymore, we kind of I, I realized like oh yeah we cut off Deathlock's arm in the first issue. Yeah. Um, so, we, <laughs> so yeah, Alchemax finds it and it just you know they basically they build Skynet. Um, right. Um, and Ultron takes it over and takes over the planet. And so the, the cool thing that we were able to do is I said, well, you know, without Conan, the one 
thing is that we need a new lead. We need another character that's going to kind of uh, galvanize the, the this team. And I uh, I had talked about using I had asked if we could use Punisher from from the jump, and that's when right. I I sort of got a little bit of an inkling that Frank's going to be off on his own book with Jason Aaron. He's going to be uh, he's going to be doing he's going to be on his own path. I didn't even right. really know anything about the hand at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I said, listen, you know, Punisher, I think, is a really important part of Savage Avengers. I mean, I think uh, there was an early issue with, that Jerry wrote that, you know, it was, it was just Punisher and and Conan, and they really yeah. bonded. So I said, you know, since we can't use Frank, what if we use Punisher 2099? Like, that's already a future that we haven't that we haven't used. And I grew up in the 90s, so I love 2099. Totally. Um, just being like, okay, like, he's got these cool sci-fi weapons, and he's, he's fighting this dystopian future against, like, an army of zombie robots. Right. And uh, we find out, like, I had been really kind of trying to focus on, well, what does that skull mean? Yeah. And, and I think, I, I think the, what that skull means is it, it means a profoundly broken man. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and if anything, a profoundly broken man who is destined for self-destruction. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is what the Punisher skull I think means. Yeah, um, I there's that. no winning that war. Uh, there's no happy ending. Um, it's, yeah. it's literally a dead man walking. <laughs> and um and so i think we were able to really like lock in on jake gallows's arc and i was so excited like people really did not see that coming yeah um, no <laughs> i was like i kept seeding it in there like i i i said when we kind of reworked that second arc outline i was like and so like you know jake it keeps talking about that he wants revenge on the on the man who killed his family he wants he he's got exact punishment on the man who killed his family and then we will find out his family got turned into death locks and so it was him yeah um and so yeah being able to play with him being able to add in uh doom 2099 which was <laughs> kind of unexpected <laughs> um you know i i he kind of came in as like a little bit of a MacGuffin, um and then I love writing Doom. Um, that guy is like such such an a hole, yep. um, <laughs> you know, and just so just catty and petty. Mm-hmm. And um, he wound up being like one of my favorites to write. Like he he was right up there with like Flash and Miles uh, <laughs> because every time I would just like think of like what's like the nastiest like little like snippy thing that Doom would say to somebody in in any particular moment. Yep. Um, and yeah, they wound up kind of being like a really fun cast um it was certainly challenging i i certainly pushed the limits of those 20 pages and i certainly uh, yeah. carlos deserves a purple heart for how much stuff i gave him as does um as does our letterer um uh, uh, uh travis lanham but uh yeah we really you know we were juggling i think by the end it was like a nine-man team plus ultron yep um, in, in 20 pages and i think we did a pretty good job with all of them yeah um, yeah, I, I I love my experience writing Savage Avengers. I can't say, I mean, it was such a fun book. And as somebody who loves the Avengers, has wanted to write Avengers for so long and, and has been so honored to be able to do so with Savage Avengers and as well as two arcs in Avengers Unlimited. Yeah. Um, oh, it was just the thrill of a lifetime. I, 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 I was kind of like, Oh man, it's going to feel like all downhill from here, isn't it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I don't know. think. I think it's just a good uh, it's a good sign that like, you know, you you play to your strengths, you take the characters that uh, you know, either really speak to you or end up having some significant 
contribution to the story overall and 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 make it sing and i think it's really working out well uh i'm excited my own self for the devil wears my face and uh yeah. and for whatever's next um any inkling of uh the future um you know besides oh, uh, the moon knight series which i'm very excited for and i think uh, people are really going to dig it um, um besides moon knight and and devil that wears my face um uh boy well hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do have I do have one other thing that's coming. Um, I don't know when the announcement is scheduled, um, but yeah, it's definitely um, it's an exciting new project. Um, it's one that is uh, perhaps the the most challenging assignment I've ever had, um, mm-hmm. but it's one that I, I, has been coming together in a really fun and exciting way. And um, I actually just got my first round of pencils for it this morning. And um, the artist on board is really doing some spectacular work. Um, he's he's an up and comer um, who I, I don't think enough people have heard of yet. Um, but I think this he's really like planting his flag with this. Cool. Um, so it's it's really exciting. Um, you know, uh, I, I gotta I gotta keep my my my, my lips sealed as far as too many details are, are concerned. But. Sure. Um, yeah, so, so suffice to say that um, uh, we're going to be leaning very much into the action and drama onto this cool. series. Um, and I think when you see it, uh, the trajectory will make sense, gotcha. <laughs> uh, how, how I've wound up doing this. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, I think beyond that, um, you know, I'm very excited. You know, we're gearing up for another Kickstarter for the OZ. We're going to do our third and final one. Great. Congratulations. Um, uh, so, yeah, for people who've been following, you know, it's Mad Max meets the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And, um, you know, for those who haven't read it, you know, uh, our version of Dorothy, she's the granddaughter of the original Dorothy Gale. Um, she's an Iraq war veteran who's, you know, come home, you know, disillusioned and, and, and grappling with PTSD. And um, a tornado winds up striking her Kansas farm and she finds herself in the war torn land of Oz. And uh, finds out that grandma killing two wicked witches in like a week and then um, <laughs> splitting. Um, that's not a happy ending. That's just, that's that's a, a repeat of Baghdad. Right. And so, uh, you know, uh, through our series, Dorothy is kind of um, uh, taking uh, command of the resistance, uh, you know, sort of embracing her role as a yellow brick road warrior. And um, we left uh, our second issue on kind of a cliffhanger that uh, she has found herself in in the clutches of uh, the Scarecrow, um, who has sort of grown up to become kind of a murderous despot in, in lieu of any other authority figures in Oz. And so we're very excited for this uh, this final um, issue. Uh, Ruben Rojas is, is working tirelessly on, on the artwork. And as soon as we've sort of built like a good critical mass for it, um, we're gonna be launching that Kickstarter. Um, but yeah, the, it's, Ruben is drawing the work of his career. Uh, Whitney Kogar on colors is fantastic, as is DC Hopkins on lettering. Yeah, um, you know the team won a Ringo Award last year um, for uh, uh, for our first issue, and I, I was there for that. I was uh, I, I not that I was at the ceremony, but I was at Baltimore Comic Con, and I was like, I was able to go up to the table and be like, "Hey, man, Ringo Award winning writer." <laughs> I was uh, I was I was pretty blown away. Talk about a, a career highlight. So I'm very excited for for people to see that and. Um, yeah, and then you know we're still working on uh, uh, my my sci-fi book Grand Theft Astro. Um, I actually just got an encouraging email from uh, the artist on that book, um, so we will uh, it, it, we will probably be launching something with that next year. Um, so I'm very nice. excited with that. And uh, yeah, you know beyond that, um, 
Yeah, that's that's sort I of. I mean, like that, ain't that enough? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, uh, with with um, with Moon Knight and, and and Devil that Wears My Face, you know, I finished I finished the scripting on both of those recently. So um, my bandwidth is sort of uh, uh, opening up widely, and uh, uh, yeah, you know, I'm excited, uh, you know, to figure out what my next projects are and. Uh, uh, yeah, and get married next year. So yes. uh, I guess I, got, I guess I have a lot on my plate. <laughs> yes, you have a full docket, so to speak. But uh, I'm really excited to see what's next. Uh, thank and you. thank you so much for being here, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't already, you should definitely be picking up these series. Uh, is there is there like a website that they can go to where they can get all this information from directly? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, you can check out davidpepos.com for information about my books. Um, uh, Moon Knight: City of the Dead. You can pre-order um, through your local comic shop. Pre-order um, your books, ladies and gentlemen. Um, uh, the devil that wears my face is not up for pre-orders yet. I believe it will be at the end of July. Um, but if you're really feeling impatient, um, you can also pre-order digitally, um, on the Mad Cave website. Um, cool. I believe they have a, they have the first two covers, um, uh, uh, up for pre-order as well as digitals for all six issues plus a trade paperback. So, oh, nice. Uh, so yeah, madcavestudios.com, uh, you can pre-order it or I always uh, love it when people support the local comic shop. So just. Tell your local comic shop um, at the end of this month to add the double that wears my face to your pre-orders and they will do so. Nice. Uh, of course, all links are in the comments and t- description down below. Check us out there and we'll see you guys next time with a new episode. Thank you very much, David, for being here. We'll Thanks for you. having me.